These two guys go past over our port wing, uh, two vampires, and the plane rocks. And I could see this captain up there sweating it out, you know, and they're unloading, they're unloading the 50s. Uh, they're getting already with the flares and stuff, and everybody kept sitting around eating chocolates and drinking champagne. And I could see these two guys way down below us regrouping. And, you know, <laughs> this time they weren't going to miss, and they, they came up directly at us. I could see them coming up directly at us from about, oh, maybe 6,000 feet. They went all the way down. We were flying at about 39,000. They were down about 6,000 feet, and they came directly at us at a supersonic speed. They were the, they were the latest vampires. Shh, I see them coming. I figured we'd had it this time. And they split just as they arrived on it, one on each side. They were just letting us know we were over Algeria. And we looked down, we could see a lot of fires and people running around in the woods, hiding and digging holes in the sand. And I figured, well, you know, they don't advertise this part of these flights. It's very exciting. Well, I have a little more, a little more of that music, please. We're going to bring the people back. <laughs> We can all sing this. Come on, it's the song. Voices of Spring, Hope Springs Eternal. Uh, did you read this little note from the United Press International from Washington, Dateline, Washington, UPI? Listen carefully. You've heard about these these uh, these movies they show in the airlines, the planes. Well. Maybe this one got past you. You should know. There are signs that there is some sanity returning to our world. Starting May 1st, TWA has decided to integrate its in-flight movies. Now, do you realize that they were not integrated before, don't you? Oh, the only people who saw the movies were the first-class passengers. They sit up in the front of the plane. The rest of them, the hoi polloi, the rabble, sit in the back by the tail. Now, there are a lot of things that happen to first-class passengers, like when an airplane crashes, they get killed first. Uh, uh, usually, yeah, oh, it's much more dangerous to sit in the front of the plane than the back. Are you aware of that? That whenever there's any guy saved, he's in the tail there where it bumps all the time. And if possible, he'll get saved if he's in the john. About three times last year, guys got saved who were in the john. They locked themselves in. <laughs> yeah, that's the truth. Because <laughs> you always see that tail sticking up, you know, and the point, that's where the, uh, you got it. It's the only piece you can recognize. And there's some guy locked in there, and there's a whole line of people banging, you know, and it's too late. He's the one. <laughs> well, of course, it's also, there's a lot of problems with that, too, but we'll go into that later when the show gets off the air. That gets pretty complicated. I don't know if they were going to play, but nevertheless, uh, that you know that they're integrated, you see. And they have a little curtain that they pull down between the first-class passengers and the second-class passengers. It goes right in between. And you can hear all the, all the babies crying in the back. That's the second-class cry. You have babies crying and guys swearing in, in Croatian. And, you know, it's like steerage back then. You can smell salami sandwiches. and Oh, it's awful. You know, you get the terrible unwashed peasants back there. And, of course, we're sitting up in the front there with the champagne and whooping it up. And it is natural, of course, that the people in the front are the only people who are really saved when, you know, the parachutes are handed out. It's first class. It's like the Titanic went down. Oh, it's very, very good. And then many guys will give their first class seat up to a little old lady in the back. And that will, uh, it's, it's, uh, oh, there's all, there's still a lot of humility and gentility and chivalry in our world. However, when the movies start, it is strictly integrated. And they run the curtain and... They turn off the lights in the front, and they turn this movie, and, and the people in the back 
can hear the sound. Just a little bit coming through the curtain. And then they hear, all the, all the people up there laughing it up. And all they've got in the back are those cups, you know, that say, in case of emergency, use this cup. And that's all they've got to amuse themselves. And up in front, they're watching a lot of stuff. And, and so here's what happened the other day. Starting May 1st, TWA will show the films to the coach as well as the first-class passengers on transatlantic flights. For the past 18 months, the airline has limited the showings to first-class passengers, a decision enormously popular with first-class passengers, but one which brought many complaints from the coach section. Well, you know how the unwashed are. They don't often... I say most people don't know their place. I say people should know their place more. It's a much happier world of people uh, if, if they know their place. Don't you agree with me? You don't. Well, that means you don't know your place. In which case, you're one of the reasons why the world is in turmoil. I, I, uh, I, I really do. I, I, I think that the, that, that, that the people should learn their place. And by Georgia, when, you, when you're told to tote the bale and lift that bar, you better do it. Because it makes it much happier for all the rest of us. We're not toting bars and lifting bales. And I just believe in people knowing their place. Don't you, friends? <laughs> Come on now, I'm talking to all you Barry Goldwater fans out there, and you should all be warming to this. This is good, solid Barry Goldwater talk. Uh, all of you Ayn Rand fans should know that you, could, you should recognize the basic truth of that. Of course you do. Well, getting out with this. To keep the people, that is the coach passengers, from seeing the films, cabin attendants had made sure the folding door separating the first class from the coach always was closed during the movie. But on one recent flight, will you please bring uh, a little more Hope Springs Eternal music because this is the point. On one recent flight, an elderly woman passenger traveling second class coach kept opening the door wide so that she could see the film. The purser politely explained to her that the movies were only for the first class, please, madam. The lady only snorted. And as the flight attendant walked away, opened the door again. He closed it. She opened it. Finally, he stood by the door and held it closed while Doris Day went into action on the beaded screen. The old doll then, in the second-class part, got down on her knees, put her face under the small open space between the door bottom and the cabin floor, and bit the purser on the leg, and refused to let him go. She had store teeth that were very sharp. She hung on, and for 15 minutes they flew like that. The purser, with this upper and this lower plate buried in the calf of his leg, the old doll hanging on on the other side of the doorway, and Doris Day is in action on the screen. Da, 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 da. Gee, you know, they don't advertise that kind of stuff on, on those transatlantic flights, and it sure adds a lot. I mean, it really does. It's, it's a lot more fun than those coal cuts they serve, and all that beer and all that stuff. Da, 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 da. Well, the entire system collapsed on that flight. They opened the door, the old lady sat back, they gave her some hors d'oeuvres, and the second-class passengers for the first time watched the movie. <laughs> now, <coughs> the point that I am making here is that 
all these people had gotten on this plane and they were going to fly across the ocean. Now, I'm sure that every one of us, particularly those of you who have never done this, have a beautiful, almost paradisical vision of you getting on the plane and flying to Paris. Haven't you really? Oh, come on now, come on, level, you know that. I mean, you got this matched luggage and the whole bit, and you're drinking champagne and you're speaking fluent French to the sinister stranger sitting next to you. You know, the whole thing is going on and on. You, you do. Let's face it. We have, Americans have a paradisical view of the world. We really do. Uh, we go to a crummy little rotten fishing village on the coast of, of Italy, and we come back and rave for weeks. And it's a crummy little rotten fishing village, and everything is rotten. The sewage is rotten, and everything is rotten. The people are fist fighting and sticking each other with knives. And all we know is they make wonderful beadwork. And they're so happy. You should have heard the wonderful guitar player. I heard one. You know, it's, 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 this is all jazz for the birds. And, and we have this, this, this wonderful image. And I suspect it's because we live in a world that is almost totally showbiz. We are sold things. Believe it or not, we're probably the only country in the world where other continents are packaged and sold to us. Go to beautiful Australia. Yes, and Australia is presented to you like a box of Barracini cherries. It is told, you're told that it, a fun continent, Antarctica, and uh, exciting new vistas to explore. And, uh, you know, we're, we're sold. We, we, we sell each other till a point has been reached where even death itself is a saleable item. Are you aware of that? You know that there's an outfit out on Long Island now that has a 30-day death policy, a 30-day trial you can run it on. Yeah, it's a free trial. For 30 days, you can try this life insurance. I don't know. <laughs> I don't know how you're going to try it 30 days, but that's a... What do you do? I mean, you know, if it doesn't work out, I mean, there's a lot of complications when you think of that. But everything is packaged. Well, even war itself is packaged to Americans. Oh, yes, it is. It is packaged because I don't think there's anybody who watches more war movies, who digs more... Uh, more violent television shows than the Americans. And it's kind of clean. You know, when, when one of these guys drills another guy on the main street of Laredo, you don't really see all that stuff splattered over that tavern in the back there. You just don't see what happens when that 45 slug goes out the back. You don't even see it when it goes in the front. Uh, it's all so clean. You know what I mean? It's packaged. It's kind of romantic. In fact, you kind of feel vaguely cheated that you didn't get plugged. Because you could think of how you'd lay, you know, how you'd throw your one arm up, you know. And you could see yourself lying there in a very dramatic way. Well, it's all, it's, it's very, very, very unreal, our, our attitude is about these things. And, and, and even, of course, it's, it's part, you get into the Army, you know, and you hope to see somebody like Gregory Peck as your CO. There's a little short, fat dentist, you know, who's, who's operating the controls there. And he's a cretin, almost totally illiterate, and he has stomach trouble. And, you know, you don't, don't feel the same way about it. Well, I'll tell you, one of the, probably one of the most educational experiences that I ever had, getting back to the thing that the men have experiences that women don't. I would like a woman to try to match this one. War. Okay, you got the scene? War. Now, war brings up a lot of images when I say the word. I'll just say the word again. War. Now, of course, you have all kinds of images. You have some of them are good too, you know, like uh, heroism. Oh yeah, men with a with a uh, with a mission. Uh, we we are we are climbing the hills 
to protect the world for democracy, whatever it might be. Uh, then, of course, there's the other side. There's a lot of, but the other side you don't even know about. It's the in-between side where you really learn things from, because you never learn anything from the actual scenes of violence you see in war. You don't. Because, for one thing, they're too quick, too fast, too loud, and too many other things are happening for you to actually learn anything from them. You don't. It's like, do you learn anything from an automobile accident on the turnpike? Yeah, you know. You don't. You really don't. You think you do, but you don't. Uh, so it's the in-between things. Let me describe the scene. War. Okay, I'm 17 years old. You got the scene now? I have seen Don Amici movies. I have seen Errol Flynn giving it to the Japs in Burma. Uh, you know all the old movies that you see on TV? Well, you know, it's, it's all the whole thing. You know, you, 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 it's, it's war, you see. You're scared to go, and at the same time, there's a mission. It's, it's a very complicated feeling that happens at the time when it really is going on. Now, you sitting here with no war going on, uh, it seems very simple. Cut, run, I'd be against it. That's what you say. Not necessarily. On the other hand, you'd say, I'd be scared. Oh, boy, wow. Not necessarily. Very complicated, I must say. So here it is, war. You got the scene? Now, uh, I'm going in. Uh... There has, been a, there has been a lot of confusion, one thing and another. Next thing you know, I filled out some forms in a rash moment at school. And they told me that if I filled out these forms, it would be okay. I wouldn't have to go for a long time. And they'd send me to school. And, oh, boy, oh, boy, we're going to go on. Well, I, no sooner, it took me about ten minutes to get home. And when I got home, the orders were already there. You see? <laughs> All they wanted was that thing on the line there. And they got it. So I got home with this big fat envelope. And it says, go to this place. Well, immediately I felt very heroic and everything. And people started to have parties and they were saying, you're going, you know, and I'm 17 years old. I'm sort of half in a sweat. And I'm not really shaving or anything yet. And I'm all excited and hollering. And uh, I drank a glass of beer and everything. So the day came and it said, go to this place on Franklin Street in Chicago. Now, I don't know whether this scene has ever been described in any story or book or magazine or article I've ever read about the war. This is the kind of uh, thing where you really begin to have a feeling about what mankind is about. It's fantastic. You can understand why Swift wrote. So I arrived on Franklin Street, and I, I, I was thinking of all these images, you know, I'm going to come there and get examined, and they were going to swear me in. Well, now, when you hear the one phrase, when you hear swearing in, have you seen this ever done in the movies? Of course. It's very dramatic, isn't it? Well, let me tell you exactly how this happened. The first moment that the, that the education began to build, I arrived on Franklin Street. Franklin Street is a street which is in the middle of the financial district of Chicago. It's right in the middle of the loop. It's very official type business. It's like if you were told to arrive at 47th Street between 5th and 6th at rush hour. You know, it's that kind of a thing. So I arrived at Franklin Street, and there's a tall, thin building in between two other buildings, just a lot of buildings, and it's an office building. I arrive at this office building, and there is a slight mist coming down. It is raining. It is a gray day, and I am prepared for an event, like graduation, uh, a ceremony, something official. I was going to become changed. I was going to be... It was historical. Well, 
I arrive, I arrive at this building, and there's a line of guys coming out of the front of the building. I've got my papers. I figure they're waiting for me. They expect me there. And immediately, I, I walk up to the front of the building. All these guys are waiting. There's a line. I walk past the line. I go in through the doorway. There's a yellow light bulb hanging there. And there's a guy sitting in a desk. He says, where are you going? I said, well, I have papers here. They're expecting me. She got orders? I said, yes, orders. I gave her my orders. She's getting me in the line. And here, take these papers with you. And boom, 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 boom. He starts stamping my papers. He tears six of the sheets off, stamps more down, puts staples on, and I get down to the end of the line, and it's raining. I'm now standing out on the street. I mean, Errol Flynn is nowhere in sight. And it's coming down. It's drifting. And there's a bunch of other guys who are saying, this is not the draft board or anything like that. If you think you've been to the draft, this is not the draft board. This is an induction center. You are about to be put in. Well, the line is moving imperceptibly. And there's a big, tall, red-headed hillbilly standing right directly in front of me, and he's been drinking corn liquor. And he keeps falling up against the side of the building and swearing. And once in a while, he hits the guy ahead of him, who's a little short guy who looked like an accountant. And he keeps hitting him between the shoulder blades. Yeah, son of a... Pow! He hits him. Well, the little guy doesn't know what to do. He keeps turning around, you know, and he's scared. And then every once in a while, he'd turn around and he'd make a swing at me. Well, because I was facing him, I could see it coming. So I just keep ducking all the time. It swings. He hits the building. This goes on. Slowly we're moving. And finally we get inside the building. And I will describe the scene for you. The line, this building was 14 stories tall. The line wound up all 14 stories inside. In and out of rooms. In and out of rooms. In and out of hallways. In and out of elevator shafts. In and out of bloom closets. In and out of cellars, places where they had old uh, burlap bags, up and down. The line wound, and, and, and the line gradually changed, changed complexion until at one point the line was totally naked. Now, if you can imagine a line of men, 17 and a half miles long, jaybird naked, all standing in the, in, the, in the long corridors and up and down the air shafts, in and out of the elevator wells, a line of jaybird naked men with the rain coming down outside. Not one of these guys knows any of the other guys. And they're all shapes, all sizes, all ages, all conditions and everything, all lined up. I don't know many women going through this much. Quite this way. <laughs> quite this way. You see, what? Uh, by, by quite this way, I mean, we had all entered with an idea of some gigantic promise. Something. I don't know what it was. Exciting. And it's a little, it's, it's a very peculiar. So we kept winding in and out of these rooms. And once in a while, you'd come into a room and they would do something to you. The guy would say, uh, give me your arm. And you'd give me your arm. And he'd look at you, oh, give, me, give me the other one. And you'd give him the other one. And he'd stick something in you real fast. And it would make a ripping sound when he would do it. Oh, yeah, these, they had been sticking guys now for about 25 straight days. And this was a very old needle. And they would just, ah, I'd chunk it in there. It squirt this this ethyl or antifreeze or whatever is in you, and then pull it out again, and and slowly but surely you're getting sick from the, all this, and it is cold. The wind is coming up and down, and once in a while a guy with a riding crop walks along and he starts batting you and ah get in the line of fire, you get on the fat one, hit pounding, cracks you across the hocks. Gradually you get closer and closer to what appears to be nirvana. You don't know when you're waiting in line naked for something, 
you figure that at the end something great is going to happen. It, it just has to be. And, the, and this line is filtering upward, and it filters down, you see. It curls on down the other side of the building. And gradually the guys are dressed down towards the other side. Fourteen straight hours you wait, gradually moving, until suddenly I found myself in a room with a lot of other guys, and we are now dressed. And two guys are talking up in front. One is a captain, and one is a corporal or something. And the, the corporal says, Hey, you guys, put your hands up! All of us put our hands up. And the corporal and the captain had a little talk about Okay, you guys, you're in the army! All right, you're in the army! We have just sworn in, you know, that wonderful swearing-in ceremony where Van Johnson talks and the guys cry? The thing where they play the Star Spangled Banner? It's all over. We've just stood it. You're in the army. We didn't hear anything. And somebody says, what about the oath? And the corporal says, the oath, you just heard it. Like, get the potatoes out of your ears, Mac. We didn't hear anything. None of us heard anything. We wanted something to happen, you know. Where is it? When does it go? Where, do, where, where does the balloon go up? And we stood around. He says, get out, out. There's another bunch coming in. And they pushed us out the other end of the door. And another bunch of guys came in, didn't know what. And so one or two of us hollered, hey, they're going to give you the oath. Hey, follow the oath. And a couple of guys, you could see their eyes brighten a little bit. And then that mumbling started again up in the front. Gradually, we go down, out on the street, and it's raining. And it's all over. All over. I am now in the Army. I'm one with Errol Flynn and Don Amici, the Rangers, the guys that took the F. This is WOR Radio, your station for news. Here is an important message from Fire Commissioner Edward Thompson. Do you have a time bomb in your home? You have if your electrical wiring or appliances are defective. Wiring that is worn, frayed, or broken may explode into fire at any moment. That fire can destroy your home and your family and your life. This is WORAM and WORFM in New York. It's exactly midnight, time for Long John Nebel. <laughs> 